Welcome to Next Steps, a podcast from Black Hawk Church in Madison, Wisconsin, where together we'll take next steps to grow in our relationship with Christ, to be formed into the kind of people He's created us to be, and to better love and serve those around us. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Next Step podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Veronica, and I uh, am the pastor of College Age Ministry and Internships. And Veronica, you are the Associate Director of Spiritual Formation, and we have had, honestly, a great time uh, co-hosting this podcast together. And we're excited that this episode, we're talking about faith and science. If you haven't had the chance to listen to uh, Blackhawk's Sunday message on faith and science, man, we want to encourage you to uh, listen to it right now. But man, it, it was a great conversation that Chris had with a couple different people. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, science and faith is a thing that we talk about frequently here at Blackhawk because it's something that we're passionate about, that we really care about. And if you enjoyed the Sunday sermon, there are a ton of resources on our website, too, that you can dive into. I know Chris put a lot of resources out there because this is really just a a big topic that I think can impact people's faith for good, or it can lead them down um, some questions of doubt and down a road of deconstruction if, um, if they don't have good satisfactory answers to those questions or an understanding of how faith and science can coexist. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it's a great conversation, and um, when the teaching team was talking about different things to talk about in this series, this is one of the top ones. Um, I'm curious, Veronica, um, what are just uh, what's your kind of uh, story when it comes to science and its relationship with faith? Yeah, so since I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't really come to this topic with an understanding or an assumption, I guess, that mm-hmm. there was a conflict between science and faith. And I, I mean, I grew up being taught science in school. So that's kind of the like basis, uh, base knowledge that I started with. But honestly, the more, before I was even a Christian, before I was a believer, part of the reason I was curious about religion and Christianity was because I could see the intricacies. I mm. took um, anatomy and physiology. And even way back when I was a kid, like, I don't know if you remember when you were in elementary school, when they were teaching you about genetics and then the pea plants that they were crossbreeding and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that, I just had this deep intuitive sense that like, this is so beautiful Mm. and so intricate that there must be some greater purpose Mm. to this or some, you know, divine creator to this. And so I think that really honestly is kind of what part of what drove me to look for those answers and look to religion and Christianity. So it's, it was really interesting when I got into the church and started finding that other people had had a very opposite reaction or experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. One, I just want a little confession. I, I, Mm-hmm. You, when you had no idea what I was talking plant, about. No idea. Okay. I'll, Completely I'll, no idea. What Can you just really quick for the other Michaels no, out there? I can't. You um, can't. <laughs> there was like a, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to not do justice to this, but there was like a, I think he was a monk and he was gardening and he was crossbreeding pea plants to try to get them okay. to have different traits. Okay. And that's how he figured out that. Like a like, mean pea and a happy pea. Exactly. No, we're just exactly. Joking. That's what he was going for. <laughs> now, I don't know. There were probably like colors or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, taste varietals. Sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't remember that much of it. I'm not you a were scientist. In elementary school. I work at a church. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was in elementary school. But I think, I mean, all of that led to like even taking biology, anatomy and physiology, yeah, yeah. chemistry later in life, all of those things, just like it made such sense to me. Gotcha. Yeah, I grew up in, uh, I don't want to get too off the track, off track, but I grew up in Seattle, just north of it. And we, in elementary school, we would get all of our parents like uh, used ground coffee beans and we had like this warm atrarium and so that's what we did and we would get like salmon tad like not tadpoles like little salmon eggs and mm. then they would hatch and then at the end of our class year we would release them into streams so wow we didn't do anything with peas okay, but well, so that's why I, yeah there you go we're really revealing science. a lot about how not <laughs> scientists we yeah. are <laughs> and with that yeah I just want to uh that was a, maybe an intentional segue to my experience so I um can't really claim that I am you know, a scientist or have really even studied outside of just general uh, education classes in like college and high school and all of that. But science honestly has been something that I've really struggled with. I, um, I appreciate it and I love it, but 
My undergrad, I went to a smaller Christian college in Washington State called Whitworth University, and I got my bachelor's in music. Uh, vocal uh, had a vocal emphasis, and not really scientific. And but here's the thing: I kind of had an opposite upbringing uh, than than you did. I, you know, uh, just my surroundings and through different, um, I don't know, just different uh, upbringing. I don't. I don't want to say it's my parents, but just the culture that I was brought up in was, hey, the Bible says it, and that's it. Hmm. And so when I would later accept Jesus, like when I later made the decision in high school to follow Jesus, kind of that, if the Bible says it, you believe it, that was ingrained in me. And I honestly, not being a scientific-minded person, my biggest areas of deconstruction throughout um, growing up and even today are around science and faith. Hmm. Number one, um, there are so many different uh, areas where I'm like, okay, well, science is saying this, the Bible's saying something completely different. You know, especially when I was younger, I'm like, how yeah. do I reconcile that? And it would bring me to really honestly scary places where I thought, well, is God even real? Does he even exist? I remember, um, you know, I don't know what most people in elementary school would keep them up at night, but I would wake up at like one in the morning with almost a panic attack being like, what if there's nothing after this? Oh, no. I know. But but I just want to be real because I think a lot of people when they're younger and even now, whether we're aware of it or not, we do wrestle with the relationship of science and faith. Yeah. You know, but the older I got, the more I realized you know, and Rick, Isabella, and uh, Chris Dolson, they, they talked about this in different ways that, that science and faith actually are answering two different questions. Yeah. And if God created everything and if he is truth, then you can ask truth as many questions as you want. And the more questions that, you're, that are answered correctly or whatever, the more truth you find, it's just going to lead you to God. Yeah. And so that, that was really helpful for me. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's... For me, it's an ongoing process, and I, I kind of look forward more to learning now, and it excites me to see, like, oh, there's an inconsistency. Let's relearn, and yeah. let's dig deeper into cultural contexts of different things in the Bible, or let's talk to a scientific friend because I can sing and talk, <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think similarly, one of, the, one of my big takeaways from Sunday's message was when they were talking about, you know, like one of the big reasons for deconstruction is just sort of the um, the unknown questions and the mysteries, yeah. and the, 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 the questions we don't have answers to, right, really? And um, Isabella said something, uh, again, I'm going to paraphrase here, not direct quote, but um, she said something that really, I really appreciated. And she said, you know, as a scientist, she she's used to testing theories. Yeah. And there are, she always knows that there are going to be limits to her knowledge and things that she doesn't know or doesn't understand yeah. about the universe. And when she gets more information, she retests those theories and yeah. to, to see if they're true. And I think that that's kind of the process that we, a lot of us go through with our faith too, yeah. is we, we retest our theories about our faith and, and see what else is out there. And we know that there are limits to our knowledge about God and, and about our creation. And we just um, have to be okay with some yeah. of those mysteries. When, uh, when I was in seminary, I think one of the most initially rattling things, but then the most freeing things was approaching scripture with the same posture. This is what, you know, we would, I would be in a class and we would have scripture and, you know, something that we might kind of, people might kind of wrestle with or mm -hmm. uh, like have a hard time understanding. Um, and, you know, in different contexts, different professors would be like, what's your, like, what's your honest response to this? And a lot of people would be like, ah, man, it is, the Bible says it, so I believe it. And they're like, well, well, why? And mm -hmm. we would get to this kind of deconstruction of like, I actually really struggle with this. Yeah. And then um, a professor would just lead us in a really healthy way to say, okay, well, like, let's look at the context that it was written in. Let's look at who wrote it. Let's look at the people group that they wrote it to. Let's look at what questions the writer was trying to answer. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times in the Bible, we have the answers, but we don't have the questions. Yeah. And so it can be hard. And so it was, it was this process of what we call hermeneutics to see, okay, what was written and why was it written and to have open hands until we can learn more. 
Um, and so I think that open hand posture that we see modeled in science, when I was taught how to have that when it comes to exploring scripture, it was really freeing and it was actually exciting to see like, oh, I don't understand this. Let, let's dig deeper and let's find out. Yeah. yeah. So See, you don't know about genetics, but you do know about hermeneutics. So <laughs> That's awesome. There you go. That's great. Well, um, enough of us talking. Should we uh, yeah. get off to Michael? Got the pleasure of interviewing Chris Dolson and Rick Lindroth um, after their Sunday sermon and got to sit down and ask a few more questions of them. So uh, without further ado, we'll kick it off to them. I'm here with Chris Dolson and Rick Lindroth, and we're really excited to have this kind of digging deeper conversation. But for those uh, listening who might not know you both, um, I would love for you guys to just share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, Chris, and I've been Pastor Emeritus uh, now for a couple of years. I was a senior pastor here from 1994 to 2021, and... uh, my job now is to make sure that Matt and Charles are happy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of coffee to get them, right? No. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Rick? Yeah, I'm Rick, and I just retired about a year ago from the University of Wisconsin, where I was a faculty member in ecology for 38 years. And my research group studied chemical ecology, evolutionary ecology, impacts of climate change on forest ecosystems. Wow, that's awesome. We're, we're so glad to have you, Rick. Uh, someone who was a part of the Sunday's message isn't here with us. Do you want to speak to that, Chris? Yeah, Isabella Schlufarska is the department chair uh, for material sciences at UW, and she's been a part of Blackhawk for 11 or 12 years, uh, her and her family. And uh, she is speaking uh, in her field in St. Louis uh, oh, wow. today. So, and actually, she had to leave yesterday afternoon, and we were lucky to get her. Yeah, we're and, recording right now on Monday, so uh, yeah. the Sunday Sunday message. afternoon, yep. she had to leave and to uh, travel down to St. Louis. So, uh, Sunday at the four thirty service, we just had a video tape mm. of the interview that we did at nine with Rick and Isabella. So. Yeah, it's too bad. And then Rick is uh, traveling tomorrow to California. So we just had a, this is Monday and we just had a really tight window to do this podcast. Yeah. And um, I had to set up the tech for this and I'm not a tech guy. So you guys waited patiently for like 30 minutes while I tried to figure out microphones and everything like that. So it's a, it's a great day. Uh, no, but I'm excited to have this conversation. Better you uh, than you work than, microphone, <laughs> than me trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, we could okay. maybe add that to your emeritus role. Yeah, yeah. no Tech, way. Yeah. Yeah, that no would way. not make Charles and Matt happy. That's oh, sure. that's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I have been uh, at a couple different churches, uh, interned at different churches, uh, worked at different churches. And something that is uh, noticeably different in my experience is how Blackhawk kind of navigates uh, faith and science in their relationship. I think out of a lot of, th- and I'm sure there's churches that do it the same or more, um, but in my experience, Blackhawk really likes to have conversations uh, around faith and science, which is is unique. Um, I'm wondering if there's a reason to that, Chris. I mean, you've been at yeah. Blackhawk for a long time. so Yeah, well, and Rick's been here longer than I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, uh, you know, Rick and Nancy started at Blackhawk in the 80s. Yeah, 85. Your and wife, there Nancy, were, yeah. And there were already um, people like Rob Haworth was already mm-hmm. a part of uh, mm-hmm. the church. And so when they hired me in 94, I came into a church that already had... a. Uh, professors and working scientists as a part of the church. Wow. So that's kind of unusual. When I, I think I was on the elder board by the second time, second year I was here. It was a tiny church and much of the leadership was comprised of grad students and postdocs. When I was on the uh, governing board early on, we had multiple scientists, uh, Erie Edvinson, Rob, myself, three at least, if not more. Yes. And uh, Gary Edsel. And Gary, uh, no, not Gary Edvinson. Edvinson. Gary Edsel came later. Didn't even know him. Yeah, Yeah. right, right. It was just flooded with scientists. So the the person who led the search team for me 
found out, you know, my biology background and kind of, you know, frustrated. <laughs> Basically, I'm frustrated in my life that I can't be more like Rick, you know. <laughs> uh, and then we all uh, are. He, he, he found out that I love science. And so to kind of show me around town, you know, you sit in the car and somebody drives you around and says, hey, this is the West Side. This is the lakes. This is the university. Yeah, they showed me me different like Mexican food restaurants and coffee shops when they drove me around. Yeah. So. so they put me in a car with Rick and Gary Etzel. And both these guys, uh, you know, had positions here. I don't know if you were tenured uh, yet at that time. Yeah, would have been. Yeah, and so <laughs> they get back to the hotel. I call my wife up right away. And I go, oh, my gosh. They got scientists in the church, you know, and so... That was like one of the things, and it's just weird how that has uh, developed. And then we've kind of been a magnet for other people that work downtown. Okay, this is a world-class university. Yeah. Let's just University begin. of Wisconsin-Madison. Yeah, begin yeah. there. Mm -hmm. So it attracts really world-class people who do incredible research. So another one that we should mention is a guy named Wayne Becker, and Wayne mm -hmm. retired. He was... a teaching botany at UW for like over 40 years, 44 years or so. Mm. He became a part of Blackhawk. I mean, this guy is incredible. Wayne and, wrote the book on cell biology, The Life of the Cell. It was the dominant book for cell biology courses across wow. the country yeah. for decades. And still, and Jeff, and, and Jeff, Jeff Harden is part of the up. editorial mm -hmm. team yeah. for that. I think they refer to it as Becker's Cell. Right. Becker's yeah. World of the Cell is now the title of the book, and, and wow. Jeff has a major role in revising that. And yeah. Jeff's, Jeff's a Blackhawker as well. Yeah, Jeff goes to another church, That's just, oh. which is fine. Okay. But, I mean, uh, <laughs> not because he doesn't like us or anything like that, but at any rate, it's, a, it's great. Um, good friend, and at any rate, so there you go. And yeah. Wayne, Wayne, wow, what a guy. And a strong, strong person of faith. And um, I... You know, when we when I came in the '90s, we didn't have a large staff, so I did what you do now. I led the college ministry. Can you imagine? That? Uh, oh, yeah. what a joke! They love you whenever you teach. <laughs> they 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 love you. So Chris. I was overwhelmed with all that. So we had a little college class yeah. that we did for Sunday school, and I, I remember I had Wayne do science and faith. You know, he wow. maybe taught three or four Sundays, and you know, he's a prof downtown, and you know, Bible believing. You know, people, I mean, unbelievable. So yeah. we have just been blessed here in Madison with a number of, and now it's gone more than uh, that. Now Heidi Horn mm. is a part of our church. She leads the BioCore. The BioCore program on program campus, which wow. is right now on campus. Of, yeah, it's a four-semester kind of um, high-level yeah. wow. undergraduate biology program. Wow. And I, honestly, I don't even know how many scientists we have here because I had... Some people come up to me Sunday after the talk, and they they are on campus. Uh, they're professors in science, and I have I didn't even know wow. they were part of the church. Well, I meet so many um, doctoral students, postdoc, um, undergrad, graduate students who are in like a lot of different fields of science. So and and they worship at Blackhawk. And I mean, Chris, we on the first episode of this podcast uh, that Veronica, Veronica and I did, um, we shared that you and I uh, were the series captains for this. So we went away for a day and we said like, okay, let's do a series on deconstruction and reconstruction. What are the like few things, like there's a lot of things that people can deconstruct and then are invited to reconstruct, but what are a few things that are like the big ones? And faith and science, that was like one of the first things that we that we talked about, like we got to move towards this subject. Um, and I just think it's really unique how a lot of different, you know, uh, people can have a lot of different experiences where science and faith don't, um, you know, uh, work well together. And a lot of churches might have that posture, whether they're aware of it or not, but Blackhawk doesn't. And that's just, I mean, yeah. that's so unique. And I remember uh, you and I, as we put this series together, we were, I was wrestling like, I don't know, one Sunday, like, what did we possibly do? I mean, I could stand up and talk for hours about this. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, do we have like a panel of like 10 people up yeah. there, you know, and what do we do? And so we kind of ended up with a little hybrid. I did, you know, like 15 minutes of talk and then we got Isabella and Rick up for another 15 minutes. I think the thing I would say, you know, if it's okay with you, is 
So we were really, really just kind of the purpose of the talk was to really just help people yeah. feel that there doesn't have to be this conflict yeah. between the two realms of science and faith. And that, that was a really big thing. That might have frustrated a lot of people that we didn't go deeper, but really that was the purpose of what we were trying to do. Yeah. And with that, you talked about two books uh, that got us written two books. Do you want to um, sure. just kind of recap what that yeah, looks like again? Because it's so great. Yeah, the two principles that helped me a lot. And none of this is original with me at all. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the two books thesis is a uh, book of nature and the book of God's word. And I think this goes back to Francis Bacon. I mean, it goes mm. back a long, long Augustine. time. Augustine. Way, way earlier Augustine. than Bacon. So there yeah. you go. So, um, yeah, so this is really, really old. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that... I don't know if I was exposed to that until maybe maybe the 80s or something like that. Mm. And that really helped me a lot. Okay, God's written two books. So he's the author of both. So he's not going to contradict himself. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of like, okay. So when you do feel like there's a contradiction, we're probably not interpreting what he has written like, the way he wants us to, yeah. So that's the whether it's the book of nature or the book of scripture, and so that principle kind of helped that. And then I did the whole thing. That there's a classic illustration of that when the church felt like these passages are saying the earth is fixed and the sun actually goes around the earth. I don't. Very few people hold to that view anymore. Yeah. But I mean, people like Lutheran. And Melanchthon and people like that were like, no, no, this is what the Bible clearly teaches. Yeah. And so I don't think very many people actually hold to that anymore. So that's why I use that as an illustration. But that's an example where the church got it wrong. Yeah. And God didn't get it wrong, mm. but it's the way we read his book, mm-hmm. our interpretation of his book. That's what we got wrong. And then the second principle is leads right into that. And the Bible's not written in the language of science. Science yeah. is not written in the language of the Bible. So it's, and you know, there's all kinds of clues about that. I mean, you read Genesis 1, you know, what does God call light? He calls it day. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, that's a big clue. I mean, it's yeah. like verse 7 or something like that. So, you yeah. don't get very far in the text when you're going to go, okay, God calls light day. day. Like, mm-hmm. nobody calls Call light it day. day. I'm so, going to turn the day on. Yeah. So. <laughs> That right away yeah. is a big clue as to what's going on in that chapter. Something else is, is happening yeah. in that chapter. Uh, so it's not the language of science, obviously. It should be obvious. to And there's God creates two lights, you know, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light. The moon's not a light, okay, yeah. everybody? Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, but so when you read the text, you're kind of going, okay, let's, let's, huh, it's we're, let's not import our views into the text. Let's let the text speak for itself. And so, what's mm. happening there is not really addressing scientific issues. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Yeah, when I, whenever I, in my experience, read the Bible, um, and I think I know what it says, I, I try to encourage myself to have open hands and say, like, I, I could be interpreting this wrong. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, we should all be humble that way. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of the things I think. We learn from people like Isabella and Rick and others. There's yeah. a humility that they have as they approach their fields and they're yeah. open-handed. Yep, yep. So um, I love all the questions that you asked Rick and Isabella. Uh, and right before we started uh, this podcast, I said I asked you guys if there's anything that didn't make it into uh, the message on Sunday, and you guys both said a ton of stuff. But yeah. then Chris talked too long. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. No, don't be sorry. That's yeah, awesome. That's, real, that's a problem. <laughs> as long as Matt and Charles don't think it's a problem, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they just need to be happy. They need to be happy. They need to be that's happy. Right. That's, that's, let's go over that again. But uh, you asked uh, them a number of questions, but you said uh, shared that there was one question because of time that you didn't ask. Yeah. Um, and you, you gave me that question. So, Rick, I would love to ask you the question uh, that wasn't asked um, that you did prepare for. Um, it's you're working in an environment that might not be the friendliest to people of faith. How do you navigate that and maintain your faith? Mm, Yeah, great question. So I have done quite a bit of work in the area of climate change. I'm not a climatologist, but I've looked at the impacts of current and anticipated climate change on ecological systems. 
And I've done a fair amount of work with biological diversity, environmental degradation overall. By and large, those are not topics that at least the conservative Christian church has a high view of. Mm. And in fact, at least the climate change topic has become so politicized that it influences people's opinions mm-hmm. about others who hold those views, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've encountered a fair amount of opposition, some actual antagonism. Antagonism as a scientist in a world of Christians, and more so than I have as a Christian in a world of science. Mm-hmm. So I once had a gentleman come up to me after I'd given a talk who argued that if I believed as if it was, you know, a belief system, but if I believed in climate change, I couldn't be a Christian. Mm. And that's not all that unusual. Um, on a few occasions, I found myself in a room of people who clearly don't trust me mm. and who doubt my integrity as a person who question my capacity to tell the truth. But the thing is, those people have never been scientists. Mm. They've typically been pastors. Wow. And so that hurts sometimes yeah. you know, to have the, my core integrity as a person challenged because of what I think about scientific. Especially by a spiritual leader. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, you know, when Rick was in college, and this is one of the ways he met Nancy, his wife, is he was part of this um, uh, organization called Navigators. And, mm-hmm. you know, Navigators are like, you know, they memorize huge parts of the yeah. Bible. They're, They're know, awesome. Awesome. You know, really, it's a really great discipleship ministry. And that's really core. That Those principles stay with Rick today. I mean, uh, he and I are prayer partners and accountability uh, partners. And so he's, he's, every time we meet, he's got a little book he pulls out. <laughs> this is a little navigator book, you know. I thought you were going to say down. it's a book where he writes your sins down, Chris, no, no, and he no, just no. remembers it all. <laughs> That's a big book. <laughs> That's actually. a bigger book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he's got that stuff going on in him. And so when, you know, when you have other people, especially Christian leaders, kind of go, you can't be a Christian. That's really, that's yeah. harsh. Yeah. That's yeah. part of the politicization and weaponization of yeah. things right. that we live in today. That's really, that's a hard world to live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So part of that question was, how do I navigate it? Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I have a lot of navigation strategies. Um, but just as you were talking about two weeks ago, yeah. trying to differentiate between Christians and Christianity. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who aren't uh, fully sanctified everywhere you look. In fact, all of us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so uh, I don't expect people to necessarily act as, as well as they should with respect yeah. to these, uh, some of these perspectives. I try to understand what motivates people uh, coming from different perspectives. It's usually politics. It's usually the, the political uh, tribalization that has actually taken over their view about uh, religious um, um, religious ideas, uh, perspectives. And I try to engage in some regular spiritual practices that keep me connected to God and, and forgiving toward people. So mm. I manage. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I, I'll mention uh, Catherine Hayhoe's name here because I think uh, she's been here uh uh, she's been at the Upper House before, been in Madison. She's friends with Rick, and she's you, people can just Google her. She has a great spirit about her. I think mm-hmm. Biologos, I think, has a good spirit about them too. And you know, we're trying to be humble. We understand people disagree, and it's okay. Let's just be kind to each other as we talk to each other about something that we might disagree about. Things like yeah. that. Yeah, a lot of times it just gets down to. Uh, really, uh, things like policies and how you how would you implement some of these things, uh, rather than whether or not something's actually happening or not. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah. That's yeah. That's good. Thanks for sharing that, Rick. I'm sorry that that's been your experience, but I'm sure people listening have similar experiences. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be pretty upsetting at times, but largely it's been okay. Yeah. And and as I mentioned yesterday, I've been most surprised that I haven't faced more pushback, opposition for being a Christian in the world of science. That said, I hold the scientific view on science topics, so mm-hmm. I'm not threatening yeah. uh, to fellow scientists. Right? Yeah. Yes, this gets back to a conversation that uh, we've had before about Wayne. Wayne was just kind of this great mentor. And um, 
I think I was around Wayne once when he said uh, that what he did, this would be in the like the 60s and stuff when he was establishing himself at UW, is that he um, first established himself as a credible uh, botanist. Mm. And then after people, you know, you write enough papers and you have you have a good reputation in your field, you can kind of come out and say, hey, you know, I believe the Bible too. I'm not saying that he was trying to be tricky or anything, but um, people that, like we've mentioned, like Rob Haworth and Jeff mm-hmm. and, and Rick and other people like that, they have established themselves in their mm-hmm. fields. And so that is, uh, that's a big... That's a that big was thing. actually Wayne's very clear advice to me when I arrived in the, the late 80s and joined the faculty. He said, um, establish your scientific street cred first. Establish mm-hmm. that platform. And then people won't doubt who you are as a scientist when they learn about perhaps your religious perspectives. Mm. And it's just a great way, too, to just do your job. When you're a Christ follower, no matter what your job is, you Mm. should Mm -hmm. really do your job well. When you do your job well, people will appreciate you, and they'll want to listen to what you have to say, even Mm. though they might think you're goofy, like, for believing in God. But still, they're glad you're in the department, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Rick, I'm curious, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but, and I'm sure people are listening right now and they might be in some type of like a, a classroom setting or a work environment where science is a big part of what they do and people don't know that they're a Christian. Maybe they're in the process of establishing their credibility. How did you navigate letting people know that you are a follower of Christ? Like, what did that look like? Was it gradual? Were you like, okay, this is the day I'm, I'm letting people know. And, right. and what was that yeah. process? What did it look yeah, well, like? Well, I want to be very careful to say that what I say here is descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm, great. Right? Yep. This yep. is how it worked for me. I'm not yep. saying this is how it should work for others. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not, I'm not out there with my opinions about much of anything. Yeah. Right? Um, I think... He's Most. an introvert with a capital I. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it mostly came out in my personal interactions with students mm. and staff and then colleagues. Um, I'd, they'd say, what are you doing this weekend or whatever? Well, I'm, I'm going to go to church. Oh, what church did you go to? And this and that. Um, sometimes it was a, complete conversation stopper, boom, you know, it shut down. Oftentimes not. Um, Yeah, I I would frequently in classrooms, in fact, one course I taught, my regular course, uh, usually the third lecture of the semester was on the epistemology of science. How do we know? How do we know we know? Mm. What are the constraints of science? Mm -hmm. What are its strengths? And I always had a little segment in there toward the end about relationship of science to the transcendent to god mm. and that god, that science cannot speak to the question of god other things can but mm. science can't can you speak more to that maybe when you're done with your thought sure that's a really good point yeah, that I, I think people might be like wait what are you talking about sure so um and then oftentimes people would come up to me afterwards and say oh tell me more about this so I, it just kind of trickled out and sometimes it tri- must have trickled out sideways because mm-hmm. at one point um Somebody uh, said, uh, yeah, I understand you're Mormon. Mm. <laughs> and I said, well, no, not actually. I have, at the point, I had three Mormon people in my research group, but mm. I wasn't. Gotcha. They said, well, we didn't th- see you drinking a lot of liquor at the parties. And, we just kind of was, and you don't Mormon. drink coffee. I didn't then. So we yeah. just figured you were Mormon. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't drink Coke either. He doesn't drink. <laughs> so... Um, Okay, so uh, science properly understood deals with the natural world Mm -hmm. and restricts itself to dealing with the natural world. Mm. That's very important to understand. And so everything that science explains is explained in terms of physical, chemical, biological principles and Mm -hmm. laws. If something needs to be explained other than using natural processes, that's great but it's not science. Hmm. Science, by definition, restricts itself to the physical world. So science, by definition, cannot answer the question of does does God exist? It actually can't answer the question, does my wife love me? Hmm. Science can't answer all kinds of important questions in the world. Hmm. But 
the questions it does answer, it's the best system going. Mm. We have no better system than science for understanding how the natural world around us functions. So if I can just, um, so what happens in the publishing world is that people like Dawkins, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, they, they then write books uh, that are really more, uh, we might call scientism, basically. Mm, right. So science is the end all for all things. And so we can prove there's not a God. And they make these kind of statements, which drives colleagues that they have at Oxford and other places, absolutely crazy, because then they're going out of their field. Wow. Like they're going out of their field in theology and philosophy and stuff like that. And uh, so that is happens in kind of real world church world, is that people pick up, listen to, and they're, you know, brilliant scientists if they just stayed in their field, but they don't, they move outside mm -hmm. of their field. Mm -hmm. And scientism gets confused with science a lot. And that, that can be a problem. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. That's really, and wow, that's, I'm learning. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, okay. So as, a, you know, me, a follower of Jesus, there have been different areas where I'm either reading the Bible um, or pondering different things about God, and I will experience a dissonance. Uh, in my understanding of uh, how faith and science should relate. Uh, and I know a lot of people listening probably have a similar experience. And I know people that um, because uh, they've seen maybe a dissonance or a clash on faith and science, they've slowly deconstructed their faith. Um, I know that you just shared that, you know, science and faith are, are speaking to different things but still, I think we can uh, experience deconstruction in how they do relate in different ways. I'm, I'm curious if you uh, guys have experienced that in any way, like a dissonance um, when it comes to faith and science. And how did you navigate that? Well, yeah, that's part of my story. And I think the way I navigated it was had to do with some of the things I was talking about in terms of principle number two. Mm. This and um, the Bible not written in the language of science. So that's all about, it's not about science at all. Mm -hmm. So I hold views that I hold about the Bible um, because of the hermeneutics, the method of interpretation that I take when I open the text, go into the text. And so that really helped me. That's my training too. And that helped me more than anything uh, to help unlock some of the dissonance that I might have had and stuff like that. The Bible's simply not speaking to a lot of issues that um, maybe other views of interpretation would say, oh no, the Bible's actually speaking to the age of the earth here or that kind of thing. And the Bible's not speaking. The Bible never says one thing about evolution. It's not in the Bible, okay? So when we read back into the text our own scientific dialogue and issues, we're reading into the text. Mm. We're not reading... That's not, you know, the Bible not written to us, written for us. Yeah, so, Rick taught you that on Sunday. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> so uh, it's really, I don't know if I'm being clear, but uh, the Bible is an ancient text. And it's, it's not, like the Genesis narratives are not addressing modern scientific issues. They're addressing ancient cosmologies that the people who came out of Egypt were struggling with. Yeah. Like, you know, is Marduk the real God? You know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And we read the text today and nobody even knows who Marduk is and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they're, it's addressing Babylonian cosmologies, Sumerian cosmologies, and that's what's going on in the passages. And now it's like, oh no, it's got to tell us the age of the earth or the day means 24 hours and all that kind of stuff. And and so that has nothing to do with science. That's wow. studying the Bible, understanding what's happening in the text, and uh, all that. I'll call people's attention to what we recommended. People go to the website, and uh, Charles has a talk on all this that he did in 2017. Mm. Tim Mackey's got a talk on all this, and that will help. Mm. So the, a lot of the dissonance is, comes from believers in that we're assuming the Bible is doing something that the Bible's actually not doing at all. Wow. That's super helpful. And I know when I, I talk to students, a uh, resource that I'll share often is BioLogos. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a fantastic, I don't know if you could, you want to speak into um, sure, yeah. that resource, because it, it could be really helpful because it addresses a lot of different questions yeah. uh, that we can come up. Well, we're 
two biased people right here. <laughs> so uh, there's a uh, they have uh, a, a big conference coming up in April. Is it April? Yeah, April. April, and it's in North, Raleigh, Raleigh, North, North Carolina, Carolina. And Rick's one of the keynote speakers. Yeah, Biologos dot org. Biologos, yeah. yep. And then I'm on the advisory council of Biologos, which doesn't really mean that much anymore. But when when Biologos was formed, he's got to make people happy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's right. At any rate, good organization. Uh, originally founded by Francis Collins, mm-hmm. and uh, it's one organization that we recommended. ASA is an uh, is an American another Scientific one. Affiliation. It's another one. Uh, Science for the Church mm-hmm. is another one, and because the Evangelicals and science is such a small world. I think together, Rick and I know an awful lot of these. <laughs> many of them. A lot of these people. Yeah, yeah. That's those awesome. can be good websites for people to go to. That's great. Yeah, that's great. So here's a question, um, kind of dialing it back a little bit. Um, not talking about deconstruction and reconstruction, but uh, Rick, I want to ask you: How do you see God in science? I know you shared a little bit on Sunday. Um, but yeah, when you're maybe out in a walk or when you're studying, do you have moments where science reveals God to you? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I struggle with this a little bit because um, I don't see evidence of the hand of God in nature where most of my non-scientific friends and colleagues do. Mm. Okay. Yep. So I see it perhaps more in functional terms or because I can explain what's going on, it doesn't necessarily strike me as clear evidence of a creator. Mm. Right. But having said that, uh, I see there is just extraordinary, exquisite um, beauty mm. and function and you know, from the level of subatomic subatomic particles to multiple universes, and for a person who is who tends to believe in God, it fits together. Okay, so everyone will say the heavens declare glory. Yeah, but scientists will say the heavens declare glory. We can all see that. They wouldn't necessarily go the next step and say of God. Mm. But I being predisposed for other reasons, not scientific reasons, for other reasons to believe in God can then say the heavens declare the glory of God. Mm. So there's that, uh, which is a bit of a roundabout answer, I I admit. Um, Certainly I see evidence of um, God's working kind of in me, through me, in what I do to reveal, unveil, mm. uh, disclose new aspects of the universe. One of the funnest things in science is to discover something and you realize nobody else ever knew this before me, before today. Wow. And it's, wow, is right. It's just mm. so awesome. And, and those are opportunities to praise God and just to be grateful. Like, who gets to do this, right? Yeah. Really. Seriously, who gets to do this fun stuff, and why am I so privileged? Hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to interrupt you several different times. So, you know, Rick and I are friends, so we do these canoe trips together. Had for uh, yeah, I've done one with you guys. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. Awesome. So, um, yeah, so he'll. It's there's nothing like walking in the woods with an ecologist. So you know, we stop and hey, Rick, what's this? And then he launches off on a lecture. And all the newbies we bring, like you, on the trip. I they, learned a lot yeah, about beavers and wolves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right. trees. Yeah. My favorite was when you pulled an aspen leaf off and said, put this in your mouth and chew it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. What <laughs> well, are you doing? <laughs> that's right. That's good. And everybody should uh, Yeah, you, you should. It's going to taste like aspirin, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of uh, all the newbies have gone like, oh, my gosh. And then. People have been around like, yeah, he'll go on forever. We just got to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep him under there, control. <laughs> there is a nerdness to him in terms of oh, no. uh, wanting to learn more. And that's what I appreciate about being around scientists, especially people like Rick. They have an insatiable curiosity. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And they just can't learn enough about a thing. Yeah. And then, then they always, they're always questioning whether or not that's right or not. 
And so mm. uh, that's good. I, I hope this has been motivating for middle school students and high school students that mm. have listened to us, you know, because, I mean, we need more people yeah. who are uh, Christ followers who want to follow Christ to get in the sciences yep. and be in, be there. Yep. And uh, right. it just f- can fit, can grow your faith. It's just, I, I don't know, I'm frustrated now that it didn't go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you became a pastor. Yeah, I should have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so here's a, here's a, um, a similar question, but kind of reversed. Uh, for both of you, uh, how has science strengthened your faith? I can start on that because I, I talked about this a bit yesterday um in in many ways and i'm glad you asked that because generally people are interested in how my faith influences my science yep almost never do they ask the reverse question and wow. so thank you for you're doing welcome so. <laughs> now i'd say in many ways and i alluded to some of these um one is my pursuit of truth i'm passionately committed to the pursuit of truth mm-hmm. and that i ca- that carries over from my science world into my Christian world. Sometimes the answers you find are not the answers you expected mm-hmm. or not necessarily the answers that are easy, but we still try to pursue that uh, to the best we can. And yet holding those conclusions loosely, mm-hmm. um, I can hold multiple contrarian views in my head or opposing views in my head and not demand that they be resolved and be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole area of mystery, bringing mystery and wonder mm. into uh, my faith. I think we have too little of that. Mm. Uh, and so that is a carryover from my science. So those are a few things. Humility, um, mm. although I say that carefully because I was talking with a group of students on this topic on Saturday, and most of them felt that scientists are not at all humble. And I was <laughs> I can see that, but I also am taken aback by it a little bit. But Depends on what you mean by humility. Mm. Epistemic humility means humility about knowledge. And um, mo- the best scientists have a lot of humility about what they know. Mm. Um, but they may be pretty prideful about their ability to figure out what they know mm-hmm. so they can come off as arrogant. Mm. It might be undergraduates' opinions mm. of professors just generally. Well, I think that's true. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah you're, that's a tenured prop there, so there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. I have, um, you know, um, there's so many things. I talked about the stars on Sunday, so that's definitely one way. Um, but, you know, if you go the other direction and you get small, like to... Uh, DNA, what, what is DNA mm-hmm. and all that. I mean, we I recommended Francis's book, you know, The Language of God. Uh, and he, it's written for a lay audience. It's really great. And he uh, was appointed, I don't know who the president was, to help lead the genome, Human Genome Project. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, it's a fascinating thing, the DNA. Like, what is DNA and what is it? Oh, my gosh. And how much uh, our DNA is just like the DNA of something else, and that's just like what in the world? So it's it's kind of like, hey, this is a this is like a perfect language. So let's just use this language a lot. Hmm. And uh, that probably be a bad way of summarizing what he's saying, but you know, it just makes you appreciate. It's it's kind of what uh, Isabella said yesterday. You know, she had this line about how brilliant God is and stuff like that. And she has a degree in physics, right? And so there's a lot of math that goes on there. But um, so I, I would say the more I learn about science, uh, it totally opens my mind to, we just don't know. The amount, we don't know much yeah. about tons of things. Yeah. And I mean, just look at, look at this, either, either go to the stars or go down to the subatomic level. We just don't know much. Yeah. And the more tools we get to discover more things about the book that God wrote, the more magnificent God becomes. Yeah, that's great. This has been a a really great conversation, and I kind of want to end to see if one or both of you could talk to the person who's listening to this. Maybe this podcast was forwarded to someone who's in the process of deconstructing uh, their faith because of its relationship with science, or at least how they are viewing its relationship with science. 
maybe they're deconstructing right now because of a particular topic or something they're wrestling with. I know both of you have have deconstructed and reconstructed in different ways and probably are in different ways ways right now. But um, what word, maybe a word of hope, would you give to someone who might feel like they're kind of in darkness of deconstruction around this? Yeah, I'll just go and then maybe Rick can say something. First of all, I would just say uh, they're they're not asking an original question. Mm. Right, right. The the amount of literature on this subject is incredible. Mm. So um, just help. I would just help them see. Uh, go to some websites. Um, go to our, our little website and look up some of those things. Yeah, there are probably. They're not asking a question that has not been asked thousands of times by other people. And so then knock yourself out mm-hmm. and find some other people to read with, discuss with, and things like that. And that would be, do it with other people. Don't yeah. just be in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think I'd add to that. Uh, well, first of all, that's, that's great. Uh, I agree entirely with what Chris said. These are not new questions. People have wrestled with these for thousands of years. And there is an immense literature out there. The difficulty is in sorting through it because Mm. you can find literature across the entire range, Mm -hmm. um, some of which I would vehemently disagree with and some of which I think is really good. Uh, What I would say to people, though, that um, I'd encourage them to consider that having to choose between a science or a faith perspective is a false dichotomy. Hmm. Really, I really firmly believe you do not need to there. They can fit together. Not only can they accommodate each other, but they, they enhance each other. They fit together very well. As I said yesterday, science answers a lot of questions that our faith systems are not equipped to answer and vice versa. Hmm. Our, Religious, spiritual, faith systems and values can address issues that science cannot. So I think ideally it's a marriage of of both of them. That's great. Man, uh, like I said before, I'm learning a ton. um, And everyone listening, I hope you are too. Um, we're just so thankful for both of you. Thank you for, and uh, Dr. Isabella, uh, all three of you, we're thankful that you uh, led our church on Sunday and that you were able to just dig deeper uh, and uh, talk about these really, really important things. Yeah, so um, thank you everyone for listening, and we are excited next week to continue our podcast. So have a great day, and yeah, tune in next week. Mm-hmm.